nice. I'm always impressed with how they can make the piano just like land right there, like right when you step up. That's, that's impressive. That's, I couldn't do it. So yeah, that was good. Uh, well, hey, uh, glad to be with you guys today. We're continuing on with our Survivor Series, and uh, we're talking about uh, how to survive some of life's uh, big struggles, and really some of the big struggles of kind of our current moment. And uh, so hopefully it has been beneficial to you. have been hearing great feedback about how the Lord is using these topics uh, to really hope, hopefully, uh, reframe some things uh, for us. And so I know God's been using it uh, for me as well. Today we're talking about the topic of self-doubt. Really, we're going to be talking about kind of the topic of self uh, from a couple different angles today. Uh, so speaking of angles and speaking of self, uh, this past week I, I found this little thing that everybody's been doing. I finally decided to try it, and that was the, the cartoon yourself thing. Anybody seen how everybody's doing like these cartoon versions of themselves, and like there's some app. Apparently, Jess helped me figure it out. You know, I'm not super savvy, but she's like, oh, it's just some app. You take a picture of yourself and then it like, boom, cartoon version, or you can kind of put it into some different filters and it kicks out some different results. And so it was funny because I smiled for the picture and Jess is like, the, the normal version is like a cartoon version. Like, why are you like smiling like that? And like, it's like, I'm like cartooning myself before the picture's even taken. And so anyway, here is what it would look like if I was in a Pixar movie, apparently. And uh, you buzz Woody and whoever that guy is, which they in the booth, they were like, that looks just like you. So they did a pretty good job. That's the funny filter. Uh, so there's the cartoon version. This one's called the royalty filter. It looks almost like the last one. I really don't know how this is royalty, but pop a crown on there, and then you got Prince Josh right there. Um, this one is, is disturbing, I think would be the word. But I looked at that, and I'm like, it's not even like an intimidating, scary villain. Like, nobody's scared of that guy. It's more just like kind of creepy stalker. Like, that's, just, that's more the vibe I'm getting from this. Like, that's got to be on an America's Most Wanted poster right there. Like, there's scary. But even more scary than that, Baby. <laughs> Actually, a few people were like, oh, I'm like, you're lying. Like, that's not cute at all. Like, that's the scariest baby I've ever seen. So uh, anyway, there you go for self-perception. This, uh, this is how they see me uh, in the cartoon yourself um, uh, version of that app. Go have some fun with that. Anyway, the question that we're looking at today is really honing in on this fundamental human question. It's really the question that all of us, whether we really explore it or whether we identify it or not, we're all searching for the answer to this question. And, and often, and we're searching for this question over and over again, and that is the question of, who am I? Who am I? It's a fundamental human question, who am I? And then I'm going to give you a separate question today, and it's also a question that we wrestle with, and it's actually a different question, and that is, how do I perceive myself? Who am I? How do I perceive myself? Two separate questions, but the wider the gap between those two answers the more that we struggle with dysphoria, the more we struggle with discontentedness. So when we separate these two things too far from each other, we see this discontentedness, this discontentedness that so many of us face today. And maybe today you're in that same boat where you're like, you know what, if I was going to talk about how I perceive myself, maybe it's really low on the value scale. Maybe you don't think too highly of yourself, and so the way that you perceive yourself is low. And there is a way to, to have too high of a self-concept, right, in a way that we, we over, so we're trying to kind of navigate today the proper way to answer that question. And so I think the distance between these two questions really feeds into this problem that so many of us have with our self-worth. And I mean, just look around. Just have a conversation with somebody. I think that we can see that this is indeed is a problem today. 
having an inaccurate self-perception comes from viewing ourselves primarily through the wrong filter. I just showed you some different filters here. I think that we, what we do is we often kick our identity through the wrong filters, and we really perceive ourselves through the wrong filters, which continues to reinforce this problem of a toxic, perhaps, self-concept. And so Paul Tripp points this out. He says that the normal human struggle is to look for identity horizontally, right? So around us, when I was hardwired by God to get it vertically. I look for something in creation to define who I am, whether that is marriage, my work, my athletic body, whatever that is. Those who look vertically, he says, for their identity discover some things that are critical to uncovering their true worth. And so there's a variety of different filters that I think that we perceive ourselves through. And so before we get into talking about the proper way to view ourselves, I want to talk first about some filters that I think that we are very tempted to, and and I think all of us would acknowledge that we're guilty of viewing ourselves through these filters. So we'll call these the fallible filters. Uh, Not because there's anything inherently wrong with these things in and of themselves, but because they're not the proper way to primarily view ourselves. Okay, so the first thing is this, the filter of strengths and weaknesses, the filter of ability, the filter of strengths and weaknesses. So let me tell you, first off, you're not the sum of your strengths and weaknesses. Although culturally, we kind of boast in those things, right? We sort of highlight our strengths. We try to compensate for our weaknesses or maybe hide those weaknesses, right? Same interview question, you know, the interview question is the, the common interview question. Well, hey, tell me, tell me your weaknesses. And we, the, the whole point is to kind of like, Well, let me tell you, my weakness really inform it as a strength, right? This is what we're supposed to do because we're not supposed to show weakness. Interestingly, Paul does the very opposite. He says, I don't boast in my strength. I boast in my weakness because when I am weak, he is strong. And so highlighting God's goodness and God's giftedness in us. Now, you might be gifted in something, and that's great. You might have given some ability and some craft, but you're more than those things. Likewise, your weaknesses are not meant to define you. And many of us get hung up on our weaknesses, right? We, get, we struggle with our weaknesses and we get stuck because of our weaknesses. So you are not the sum of your strengths and weaknesses. A filter of ability. The second filter we often use is the filter of performance. You are not also your successes and failures. How you're doing sometimes depends on the week, right? You look at kind of assess where you're at in that given week and you say, well, how, how are you doing? And usually we probably look at some of the roles that we play. We're like, okay, how am I doing this week as a dad? How am I doing this week um, as a pastor? I mean, whatever the roles are for you that you play on a day-to-day basis, often what we do is we sort of assess our performance on the week, right, at least internally. And that has something to do with the way that we're doing in that, that week. Now, full disclosure, this one's hard for me. I like results. I'm just, I'm, I just like results. I don't like to skate by. And when I'm performing well, it's easy for me to feel good about myself. Like, man, I'm I'm on top of my pastor game, or man, I'm on top of my dad game this week, or whatever it might be. Or as a coach, I feel like I'm I'm, I'm helping people as a coach, whatever it might be. And so I have a, a tendency to identify with those roles. And when I'm doing well, I'm doing well. When I'm not doing well, I'm, I'm not doing well. I, I'm excited because I get to start in the fall here. I'm getting to do um, a doctoral program. And uh, so I was talking to Stephen Donnelly about that and telling him, hey, I'm going to be a student again, which, I, which is crazy. I didn't plan on that. And it also scares me, you know, because I'm like, you know, what am I getting into? Um, you know, it, it, there's enough else going on, right? Um, but 
And talking with him, he really said something that was really freeing to me, and maybe it'll be freeing to you. He said, listen, you're going to find that you're not able to excel at all those things at once. I'm like, thanks for the vote of confidence, right? You know, it's like right off the bat. Like, that's exactly what I'm worried about, right? He's like, no, you're not going to excel at all those things at once. You have to find balance. There's going to be days where you're able to give a little bit more to one, right? And then there's going to be days or seasons when you're able to give a little bit more to this other, and you have to kind of find balance in those roles, now, what I would like to do and what many of us would like to do is just excel at everything all the time. Like somehow miraculously we're going to be the one human being that can just excel at all of those things all at the same time. And then our identity is really, when we're on it, our identity, we're doing well with our identity. When, when we're not doing so well, we feel like a failure. So we have to identify that that is one of those filters. But here's the deal. When I've figured out that that's not the primary filter through which I view myself, whether, and those are good things, right? Being a dad, being a coach, being a pastor, those are all good things. But when my identity isn't attached to those things, I actually have the ability to do all of those things a whole lot better. Because I don't have to find my worth in those things. I'm actually able to do those things better. And so it's not the primary filter through which we should see ourselves. Then there's the filter of approval. Believe it or not, as much as you think that you might be, as much as you might struggle with this, you are not what others think you are. That's not, that's not your identity. That's not what your identity is built on. Some of us are more prone to be fueled by validation. We all like validation, right? And when we're getting validation, things are going really, really well. We might feel really, really good about ourselves. But on the contrary, the inverse is that many of us can be paralyzed by rejection. Something somebody said one time about you just rings in your ears, and you, just, you can remember that moment. You can remember what you were, where you were standing, what you were wearing, and they said that thing that just deflated you, and you can't forget it. As much as you know it's not true, you continue to wrestle with it, and you continue to identify with that statement. Or maybe it was a time when you just felt left out, like you just felt uncared for, like nobody noticed you, whatever it might be, and so that has continued to identify you. On the other side, allowing yourself to be puffed up by the praise of others. Because there is a danger in that, too, to say, hey, I'm going to hear the praise of others, and I'm going to allow myself to be puffed up by that. So encouragement, constructive criticism, those are both healthy things, but they are ultimately unreliable in forming identity. When our identity is too wrapped up in this, we aim to people please. Paul tells the Galatians, he says, listen, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So ultimately, our identity is not formed by this filter of approval. Another one that we often view ourselves through is the filter of labels. We self-identify through labels, group affiliation, Things like ethnicity, whether you were male or female, class labels, like whether you're wealthy or poor, political affiliation, and other labels. And while these things are not meant to be disregarded because they contribute to our distinctiveness, they are insufficient filters to which we view ourselves. It's not the primary filter through which we see ourselves. In Colossians 3, 9 through 11, it says, do not, lie, uh, do not lie to one another as since you have put off the old self with its practices and have been clothed with a new man that is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of who created it. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And that brings us to the filter that we really should all view ourselves primarily through, and that's the filter of Christ. The image of our creator, right? The one who created us. 
So as opposed to these other fil filters which are so common today, how can we then instead frame our identi identity vertically? Instead of these limited, fallible filters, what does God see when he looks at you? Now, there's going to be a danger here as I go through some of these things to just be like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that one before. You know, I've been in church before. I've heard that before. And we sort of hear it, and it sort of bounces around up here, and then it, it exits again, right? But I want you to pay attention to these words that are really spoken about each and every one of these each and every one of you in this room. And I want you to hear these words and, and really invite God to speak these words, not just to your head, but also to your heart this morning. No matter how many times you've heard them, some of these things need to be your anthem when you're sort of falling victim to these fallible filters to remind yourself, you know what? No, no. And, and whisper these things to yourself. The first one is this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I don't know if you've kind of noticed uh, people posting about this, but we have a new place in town here up in Liberty Township. A lot of people have been talking about it. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's called Krispy Kreme Donuts. You guys heard it? Anybody heard of this place before? It's, it's okay, nobody. Okay, well, you, let me tell you, okay? Because everybody's been talking about it, and I was like, this is, okay, I don't, I don't get it. My, my response was, it's just a donut. You know, I don't, I don't get it. But that's like blasphemy to some people. Like, what, what do you mean it's just a donut? Like, have you tried it? And if you tried it when that red light is on us, so I'm like, okay, I, I guess I got to try it. And so um, I, I didn't know that that was a sensitive topic. You know, so I'm driving up and I'm going up to Krispy Kreme. I'm like, all right, I'm going to check it out. I got the kids with me and uh, I got, it, it's, it's the day that I have Jude and uh, Eli. And I say, Jude, you want a donut? And he's, donut? 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 So I'm like, that's a yes. Let's go. You know, but buddy, it's just a donut. Like, I'm not going to make it, you know, so we drive up there and I'm like, I, I will see what the big deal is. And the, the red light happened to be on. You've heard about this. The, there's a red light that comes on when those babies are hot and ready. Like they're coming off the press. And I'm like, okay, this is what I've heard about. This is a good thing. This is a good thing, right? And so you, you pull up into uh, the, the donuts, and uh, you get, in, get out of the car at Krispy Kreme. We go in. We're going to do the whole experience, right? So there's hats at the door. We put on the hats. You know, the boys are putting on the hats. I'm putting on the hat. Like we're doing the whole thing. And then we're all just, like, enthralled by the whole process because you can see at, at, uh, at almost at Dunkin'. That was, I almost made that mistake. At Krispy Kreme, unlike Dunkin', you can actually see the process of these things being made. You look in these little windows, and we're all, like, including myself, we're all like, Wow, like, look at that. Like, they just keep coming down the line, and then the glaze comes up over top of it, and it's just so cool. And then we get up to the line, and we're like, I, like, I want those ones. Like, I, I don't, there's, I see these ones in the case, but those aren't fresh off the, like, give me one of those. And they get out this, like, it looks like a magic wand. It's not really, but it's, it feels like a magic, they grab out their wand, and they just scoop up one of these fresh off the press, and they bring it over, like, here you go, sir. And literally right out of the oven to my mouth, you know. And I, you pull it apart, and it, like, it pulls apart for, like, this long. Like, I just, you know, you're just all the dough and little flakes. It's, like, it's amazing. And then you put it in your mouth, and it just, it just dissolves, like, instantly. And all the flavors just, am I giving you a good picture now of what? It's, it's not just a donut. I was wrong. Okay, as I, I stand corrected, it's really, really delicious. And until you've experienced it, you, you just can't just say it's just a donut, right? Now, the process that we were able to kind of see behind the scenes of demonstrated the depth of the purpose behind it. So we could see what was happening. There's something pretty incredible when you see that this is a purposeful process that brings about this donut. And so it's so much more than a donut. Now, if we succumb to really the teaching of naturalism today and atheism, we would have to settle for the fact that we're all just here by random chance. 
We're just a fortunate, just a fortunate set of events brought us to this moment in time. Blind forces. You guys are all just a bunch of chemical processes. I'm sorry to, to break it to you. But this is the teaching of the day, right? You're just a you're just a chemical process. That's crazy, right? We know that there was purpose, right? We we can see behind when we've experienced and understand the process, right? That formed each and every one of us. We understand that. That's so far from true. You know, in kind of the naturalistic world, we can try to create meaning, but ultimately it doesn't matter. It's all just us just trying to pass the time in random sort of ways. But if the process was the one described in the script of the scripture, your life and every life is sacred. It's valuable we are born from purpose for a purpose. You're not just a set of chemical processes any more than Krispy Kreme is just a set of you know, a, a donut, right? Let's look back to the process. It says, for you, were create, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I know that full well. Do you know that full well? Now, you can hear me say that, but when you look in the mirror every morning and you see yourself, do you think, you see every blemish? Do you see everything that you wish you could be? Or do you see behind the process this incredible miracle that God breathed life into you, that he knit you together carefully with great intention and with great purpose? And by the way, those that understand that, the result, is not boasting. You notice here, he, he says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And what was the result? Your works are wonderful. I praise you. I praise you. Your works are wonderful. And so when we're able to be comfortable in who God had created us to be, comfortable in our own skin, the result is worship back to God, the one who knit us together. So do you with gratitude acknowledge the beauty in God's unique design in you? The result, for those of us that do, that understand the miraculous nature of our existence, is that we then can see that there's, there's no life that isn't sacred. Not one of us in this room is not sacred. C.S. Lewis says there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendor. And then he goes on to say this. I love this. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. And the same is true about that person that you look at in the mirror every day. It's the holiest object presented to your senses because it is born of God. Your life is born of God. We need to see ourselves and others through that same lens that God sees them through. The image bearers of God. You bear the mark and the image of a perfect God who is purposeful in his intent. You are immensely valuable. You are also deeply loved. Yes, even as you are. Statement number two, you are beloved by God. Yeah, I've heard that, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know stuff, right? But... Think about that. That God actually 
likes you. He actually loves you. He actually delights in you. That's a profound thing to wrap our mind and our heart around. Henry Nguyen said that success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of a much larger temptation of self-rejection. We have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable. Then, success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions to our desolate condition. And then he goes on to say this, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. You're beloved. You're loved by God. More deeply than you could even wrap your head and your heart around. And over and over again, we're sort of community, we're taught the opposite, we're told the opposite. I mean, the primary job of modern marketing today is to make us feel inadequate. Subconsciously or consciously, it doesn't matter. What is modern marketing doing? It's making us feel like until you have that thing, you're incomplete. Until you look like that, you're incomplete. Until you have those cool clothes that that guy has, you're, you're not cool. Until you drive that kind of car, on and on. Until you get that weight loss drug or until you have that surgery, whatever it, it might be, we're continue, continue to reinforce over and over again. We have, to, we have to speak out at that lie. Say, no, it's not true. I'm beloved by God. We're consciously, we're, we're subconsciously flooded with propaganda. That makes us feel dissatisfied with ourselves. But those who grasp the gospel of God's infinite love, they can be liberated from self-hatred and self-rejection. Because if God would receive us, because God sees the unfiltered version of us, right? He sees us as we truly are, not the version that we project everybody else. He sees that person that we don't want anybody else to see. And the verdict is this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still that unfiltered version of yourself, when you were at your ugliest, when you were at your worst, Jesus didn't just love you. He gave his life for you. It's an incredible thing to grasp. Charles Wesley, he writes these poetic words about life before the reality of the gospel had set into his life. He says this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. And that's what it feels like to be trapped in this reality. But then he writes about the reality once he understood and could perceive the gospel. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Into freedom. Into freedom and knowing that you are loved by God. This is the truest thing about you, friends. You are beloved by God. So much so that you were bought with the price of his precious blood. So rise, go forth, and follow thee. Because God, God sees you through the eyes of love, and he sees you not for what you currently are or what you were, but you, what you were created to be. He's the only one that can truly see that since he created you in his image. The next statement that we have to hear is this. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. It's here. 
And I think that for many of us, we feel like, well, no, I'm never going to grasp that. And so we sort of continue to identify with the old self. But he's saying, no, I see the new, I see the new self. Because of the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you, I see Christ in you. This is what I see. You are a new creation. We continue to identify with the old self. We get stuck. It's such a freeing reality when we choose to live in this. Your old self doesn't have to define you. I know it continues to, we fight with the flesh still, don't we? We fight with sin in our lives. We go to battle with those things, but that doesn't have to define us. That's not how God sees us. God doesn't see that old self. He sees the new self. It's been sanctified by Christ. Jess and I, we, we've been doing a lot of different projects, and she's sort of stuck with the craftsman that she has. It's me, you know, and she, she, she has these great things that she sees on all these different, you know, DIY sites and all these things. And so she's great. She has this great vision for how she would want things to be, you know, in, in our house. And I just do the best not to mess it up and sort of, sort of deliver on those things, you know. I'm getting better uh, at my craft, but I'm still not great. And so she, she, she walks with me, and uh, so she'll give me an idea. And uh, for Mother's Day, she wanted these uh, shelves, these floating shelves. And uh, I'm like, okay, great, like, I'll do that. And uh, truth is, I, I got them, I got the materials on Mother's Day, and I had them finished by Father's Day. So this was like, it was a process, you know? And I'm like, okay, we're going to build these shelves. And she gave me the plan, and I'm like, okay, I see the vision. I see what these are supposed to look like. Let's go. You know, let's give it a try. And so uh, lots of glue, lots of clamping. I mean, we're building these things. And uh, they... You know, they actually turned out not so bad. I think I have a picture of how they, so that's kind of the finished product. Not, not so bad, you know. But the truth is, there's sort of like guys like me who I'm like, let's just get the, the project done. Like, I'm just going to get it done. Like, that's all I, like, that's it. Like, I just, I'm going to work. I'm going to do the, the hard work. I'm going to get it done. And then she's like the finisher. She's like, it's going to be right, though, too. You know, she just gets it on me. Like, it's going to look really, really good. Um, and so, I, I'm working on it finally. I feel like it's done. I'm like, it's done, right? It's done. Like, we're going to go hang these up. It's not done. That's the job. This is not, we got, it's just begun. And so she's now the finisher. She comes in. She grabs the sanding pad, you know. She's working down all those rough edges where I didn't line things up quite properly. She's getting all this glue off for where it was, like, seeping out of, like, the sides and all the things that, like, I would have been like, you're not going to see it. There's stuff on top of it. Like, let's just hang it up on the wall. I'm accept It's acceptable, you know. But she continues to work it. And actually, I'm watching her do this. And it's like, it's such a labor of love because it's hard work to work those things and continue to sand, right, to get the stain on there just right, to bring out the inner beauty of the wood grains. I'm telling you, like, I'm just, she does a really, really good job. And what I love about Jesus is that even though he takes us as we are, he loves us enough to form us into what we could be. He doesn't just leave. He knows the inner beauty. He knows the new creation. He continues to bring that new creation to the surface. And so we can sort of just sit there and be like, you know, eh, it's good enough. You know, I'm like, uh, but we all know we're unfinished. But by the power and sanctification of Jesus, we can continue to be finished and continue to, to see that new creation come about and come to the surface. Not because we can necessarily pull that off, but because he has and he continues to. Matt Chandler, he talks about um, some things that we tend to do. Really, he did a great job on this topic. And he talks about three things and, you know, based on psychology, some things that, that we tend to do when it comes to self. And the first thing that we do is we often avoid ourselves. 
We think, I don't like me, and so I'm just, but, but we sort of just pretend that those things we don't like just don't exist, and so we just sort of avoid ourselves. The second thing that we try to do, um, and again, a lot of these sound really, really good, we adapt ourselves. I don't like me, but I'm going to try to project a false self to everybody else, right? So that I want to project the, the self that every, I actually want to be to everybody else. And so we sort of adapt in that way to say, I'm going to do my best to project a different self. And then the third, and this, this sounds like a good thing, and I understand what's meant by it, but this is a very popular thought today, is accept yourself. Now that sounds good on paper, right? I understand what we're getting at with that. But... God has more for us than just to accept ourselves. You're going to see here in option four. Now, the far end of accepting yourself, and, and Matt Chandler gives this example, and this is not to be funny at all. Uh, this is meant to actually break our hearts for the fact that this, this kind of challenge exists today. There's a 20-year-old girl who believes that she's a cat. This is no joke. She hisses at dogs. She crawls on fours. She laps water out of a bowl. And that's, that's a mental illness, right? That she struggles with that. Yet nobody can tell her, nobody can help her from that place, right? Because of where we're at today. And so she's just accepted herself that she's a cat, right? And so for some of us, you're like, well, I don't, that doesn't resonate with me. Like, I don't, that, that, that's, that sounds sort of on the far end of the spectrum. Most of us Though, here's what we do. We, we use this phrase of accept yourself just to justify where we're at, right? In whatever way that is, whatever challenge it is that we face, we use it to justify wherever we're at, whatever our current struggle is. And we say, well, I'm just this. This is just who I am. But it's limiting. It keeps us stuck. When we just accept ourselves, we're staying stuck back at where we're at, and we're not allowing God to work and continue to frame us into and shape us into who we are created to be. But there is a fourth option. Accept the grace of God. Accept the grace of God. Be self-aware to understand that, you know what, I don't have it all together. I am unfinished. But God sees the new creation. This is how he perceives me. And so when I lean into him, when I lean into his grace, he can bring about that new creation. And so rather being stuck with this idea of accepting ourselves, we can just identify, hey, we all are in need of God's grace desperately to help us to become all that he has created us to be. Listen, because of Jesus, you are not what you were before. It says in the scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he could do a shall I go on, right? There's plenty more things that he could have plugged in there and made a whole chapter out of it of things that we get stuck in. So what's your struggle? You could drop it right in the list of those things. But listen to what he says. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's not who you are anymore. That's who you were. So when it comes to the things that God is forming in me, I can just, I could be like, you know what, I'm just an impatient person. That's just going to be my story. I'm just an impatient person. That's who I am. 
And I could be stuck by that, right? But God's like, Josh, that's not who you are. That's who you were. That's not how I see you anymore. So let's continue to work through that. Let's continue to walk through that. I could be like, you know what? I'm just selfish. I'm just, that's just the way I am. I'm just selfish. And we can be stuck in that selfishness. But God's like, no, that's not who you are. That's who you were. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so though the enemy tries to make us think that that is who we are, we need to speak up and say, nope, that's who I was. That's who I was. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to fight with it. I'm not going to struggle with it. But listen, that's not, that's not me anymore. This is me. So we have to continue to allow God to do that labor of love and continuing to work out those rough edges, continue to bring out that inner beauty that he sees because he sees the new creation. And I can just be honest, like in my own story, I can, if I look back to who I was in high school, there was some rough edges there, a lot of rough edges that the Lord had to take the sand or two and just work those things out. And thankfully, because of that, some of those rough edges that I had as a teenager, I didn't have in my 20s, but I had other rough edges, right? Other things to address that he had to get back out with that sander and work some of those things out. And thankfully, because of his work in washing me and continuing to sanctify me, who I was in my 20s, some of those edges are now, but I'm a work in progress. And I, I can only hope and pray that by the grace of God, by continuing to accept his grace, that Josh in his 40s will look different than Josh in his 30s. And all I can say in the middle of it is thanks be to God, and I can continue to accept his grace, which is sufficient. You are a new creation. You're the light of the world. You've heard that one before, right? You're the light of the world. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But what if you really identified in that kind of a way, where you saw your meaning in that way? Like, God is using you. You're the light of the world. It's the same phrase that he used to describe Jesus. And because Jesus lives in us, we can now be the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. I read this one a lot, but I'm just going to keep reading it until it really resonates in us. You know, I think I've taught on the same passage for like four weeks, but that's okay. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Do you see yourself that way? You're the light of the world. I, uh, I want to just kind of spend a couple moments here in concluding and just celebrate uh, some of what God's doing. I want to brag on some people here just a little bit, and not that they would want me to, but uh, I've just really seen God do some great things um, in our body. And specifically, you know, you hear a lot of people say things about young people today, like kids these days, you know, or like kind of the generation. Like it's just the generation that's like so self-absorbed or whatever it might be. But I'll be honest with you, I'm seeing something different play out here. I'm seeing some young people that really, really amaze me in the way that they're stepping up and being sacrificial and really just thirsting for and hungering for the things of God. We've seen an influx of young people that are just like trying to keep their head, you know, positioned and their eyes set on the Lord. And it's really been encouraging to see that. And I just want to kind of name a couple people here because here's what I think. I think that for some of us, we struggle with perception 
And the only way that we're going to fix our perception is by changing our posture. And so what I mean by that is I think that we could continue just to think about ourselves and overly analyze ourselves and take all those personality tests and well, nothing wrong with that, whatever, but we could get so fixated on all those things and just continue to, when maybe the shift that needs to take place is that we shift our posture. So you know what, rather than just focusing on myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on just serving. I'm going to just focus on being the light of the world. And I'm going to see where that takes me. And I've seen some young people around here doing that. And uh, one of them is Amanda Buncey, and she was here first hour. And uh, just here's a young person that said, I'm going to take a month out of my summer in college, and I'm going to go preach the gospel on college campuses. I mean, talk about shifting your posture, right? It's incredible. You talk about Hannah, who's up here all the time, leading in worship, who's saying, you know what, I'm going to pursue Ministry, I'm going to pursue worship, you know? It's not the most lucrative career, but I'm going to do that. Why? Because I'm going to shift my posture to a posture of worship, to a posture of selflessness that draws others in. And I could go on through the list. I could talk about Andrew Smith, who, who leads our young people over here and just pours into them and invests in them and is helping to, to build this new young adult community and, you know, just giving up that time and that investment to say, you know what, this is important, this matters. It's not about me. It's about me being the light of the world. And I got the opportunity this past week to hang out with another one of our students, Andrew, over here, Andrew Wells. And uh, just really, you know, as much as he's willing to share, just listen to his testimony a little bit and how God's done a work in his life over the year that we all hated, which was 2020. And he said to me on Thursday when we hung out or whatever day it was, he said, that was the best year of my life, was 2020. And he said, my, my uh, word for the year was perspective right? 2020 vision, you know, like perspective. That's how we started the year. And the, my year for the, or my word was, was perspective. And he says the best year of my life, because what he started to do, he started to just sink himself into God's word, feverishly taking notes, seeking out what God is teaching him. And then he said, you know what? I just decided I'm going to shift my posture. And I'm going to start serving students around here. And I'm going to start serving kids around. I mean, this guy's serving just in about every way you possibly can around here, right? And I just think that's great because what happened was, and I think what he would tell you is that the reason it's been the best year of his life is because he shifted his posture toward the Lord. Not worried so much about himself, but worried about how can I be a light. And I could go on and on and tell you more stories, and it's not just limited to our young people around here, but God's doing some great things. And I want you to also hear that you are the light of the world, and maybe today... By shifting your posture, you can have a new perspective about who God has created you to be. You can have a new perception. I think we all need to get to the place where, like John the Baptist, we say, listen, less of me, less of self, less of me is more of Jesus. It's when we do this that we really become who we were created to be. That's when we really shine. It's when we really make a difference. And that's ultimately what this generation needs. It's what What's needed more than ever is for you to step into that, whatever that looks like for you, and to say, I'm the light of the world. Let's take some time and pray, and then we'll close out with one more song. God, thank you that despite the fact that we forget over and over again, despite the fact that we continue to try to frame ourselves in the way that the world tries to frame us, God, that you continue to whisper something different to us. And it, may, it might not always come out as loudly as some of the shouts of the world, God, but we want to hear you say these things that are true about us, God. And so just in a moment here as we conclude, I just pray that someone in this room would really hear 
you say to them that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Embed that in 